The con the convo needs to go where the convo goes, okay? Today is Thursday, September 24th, 2020, time for episode 123 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it's been 27 days since the last time we recorded, and today is the Feast of Our Lady of Ransom. And if we're not, we're not, I don't know if we're in the final persecution yet, but a number of good priests and even a couple of good bishops have been sidelined by the flimsiest of accusations. So it's you know probably high time to pray to Our Lady of Ransom. Please deliver our good priests and bishops. We're going to need them. Absolutely. And Our Lady of Ransom also, um, just within the last 12 hours, really, um, multiple um, videos breaking on the internet of civilians, young mothers, um, all kinds of people being arrested, being tased and arrested. A woman was tased and arrested for not wearing a Masonic face diaper of submission at a, I think it was a high school football game or something. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. Um, so, you know, the whole, it's, it's all, it's all happening. It's all coming to a head and people are realizing that a lot of police are just going to continue to go along with this because they're, they're in the, um, I'm not willing to lose my job. I'm not willing to lose my pension camp. And, um, boy, isn't that a universal theme that just cuts across everything that nobody will step up and do the right thing because everybody's afraid of losing basically what it boils down to is money. Somehow they're, they're afraid of losing money. And so the choice is being starkly put before people and people are not choosing wisely, at least not so far. Which is unfortunate. And um, yeah, it's only going to get worse. I mean, the, the we're, we're going to get into the reasoning for that a little bit later. Um, do you want to get a couple of side items out of the way first? Uh, quite a bit of, of good feedback coming from the prepping podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to the feedback on that on the next podcast, but I will make make the point that, uh, so we, we canned that episode a while back and in the interim, it's been 27 days, I decided that uh, we're going to pack up my family and we're going to flee to the mountains. So, and I, I make, I say that as a joke, but actually we went on vacation and, and, uh, uh, I, we were actually over in your old neighborhood. I uh, went, went to mm-hmm. mass at the, at the, uh, fraternity chapel in Littleton. Didn't have time to go see if the, see if your books are still in the library, but, uh, man, Colorado was smoky and, and no, not in the Snoop Dogg sense. I'm, well, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure right? that's true too, but, uh, though they, they, how could you tell? That's the joke. How could you tell? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there, there were, there were a couple of fire, um, forest fires going on, but other, on, on the whole, it was good. It's long overdue, uh, to get a, to get a family vacation in, but, um, that's one of the big reasons why we haven't been um, uh, podcasting in the last uh, week and a half, two weeks. So, Yep. And Dr. Matza has started his classes, his online classes. So that's happening two nights a week. So yeah, but we're, we're making plans. In fact, I think there were even rumblings of um, <laughs> trying to test um, super nerds um, electronic prowess and see if we can get as many as five people on and do like a, a McLaughlin group sort of a thing. And I would get to be John McLaughlin because I want to be the person who says wrong all the time, whatever, go do a, do a round robin, ask a question. And then at the end of it, I would just say wrong. The correct answer is. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of toying around with that, and we've got a list of five people that it, I think everybody would be very interested to hear in a roundtable discussion, so we'll see. 
yeah, we'll have to, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that offline to prepare for it. And hopefully we can get that put together pretty soon. One point I did want to mention on prepping though, and this is, I was in, in putting together the notes for today, I pulled up one of my old notes and standard notes and found a, an item toward the bottom when, when we had a, a bunch of ask ands and it was, it's sacramental prepping, carry a container of water in your car. That's not meant for you to drink, but but uh, is reserved in case you need to have an emergency baptism. Mm-hmm. And this is something that uh, I saw somebody mention on Twitter months and months ago um, that uh, they came across the scene of a, of a car crash, or maybe they even saw the crash happen in front of them, and, and they grabbed their, their thing of water that they carry with them in the car and ran to the car- crash in case they needed to baptize somebody. And it's like, dude, I never even thought of that. Yeah. I usually carry a lot of water, but I also drink a lot of water, so it's not unusual that I'll consume all of my water. And if I came across a situation like that, I wouldn't necessarily have something set aside. And uh, guys, it doesn't have to be holy water. It, no, it doesn't no, no. Have it just, to, it, it's normal water in a bottle, in a squeezy thing, whatever. Totally. Water, water, just, just water. It so just, don't... It just, yeah, yeah. It, just, it just has to be water. It can't be Gatorade. It can't be uh, Pepsi. Right, right, it's right. got to be water. Yes. And even if it's an old, you know, plastic bottled water that's got B- BPA leaching into it, who cares? Emergency baptism, it's still water. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, Oh, see. and speaking of baptisms, real quick, ladies and gents, if there happens to be video documentation of your baptism, you might want to take a little peekaboo at that because... People are crawling out of the woodwork now, realizing that their baptism was probably not valid. I, I mean, I, I want to say that was uh, Father Z on his blog. Somebody, or maybe it was somebody tweeting at Father Z. I forget where I saw this exactly, but somebody was freaking out. I was like, "Oh, should we all go get uh, conditional baptism and, and receive all the sacraments all over again?" It's probably a bit of a stretch, but uh, then again, who knows? I mean, if if you were baptized, confirmed all that in the 70s and 80s, and you know, I mean, y'all know out there, if, if you were, what your parish was like and what your priest is like, if you're sitting there thinking and you have a horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach that the the gay hippie priest that was around your parish in the 70s or 80s or 90s or whenever it was, if you have the the sneaking suspicion that that feeling in the pit of your gut that oh my goodness that that idiot might have said something invalidating and I mean with when the CDF came out and said or uh, I think it was the CDF who just came out and said we we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. That's invalid because it's I, it's Christ. And the again, the priest is in, in the person of Christ. It's Christ that is that is doing the baptism. It's not the community. And so, yeah, if, if we invalidates it, then any of this, you know, what do they call it? Redeemer, sanctifier... Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. I mean, it, that anything like that, that's invalid. Um, if if you have video, if grandma has VHS in a drawer somewhere, you probably ought to check that out and make sure, And it, or uh, for your kids, your grandkids, anything. If you have any doubt, if you have any suspicion, check it out. And yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's not unreasonable that there is going to be and probably should be 
a rather large deluge of conditional baptisms, conditional confirmations, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is eternal salvation that we're, that we're talking about here, you know, and people say, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't send me to hell. Well, that mean, I, 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 I see the point that you're trying to make, but on the other hand, Christ is not about chaos. He's not going to just permit abject chaos to go unchecked. And if you if you have suspicions and you know there might be a problem and there is a solution that's very easy to do, very easy to do, why not do it? I mean, it's not as if this is moving heaven and earth or anything. It's not it's not a terribly big deal to go get conditionally baptized, conditionally confirmed. It's not a big deal. Why not just do it? How can you can you can we put forth just a minimum of effort to show our Lord that we actually take this seriously and that we actually care? Yes, I I really think we can. And so I think that when it comes down to your particular judgment. I think that would be the question that Christ would be asking you is you knew there was potentially a problem here. Why couldn't you have just made the effort? Why did you think, eh, this isn't, this isn't a big deal. I'm not going to sweat this. Really? It's, it's, it's the fate of your eternal soul. How, how is that not important? See, that's, that's what it drills down to. And that, and that, I suspect, is when it comes down to it, that will be what he's asking people. Why didn't you take this seriously? Why didn't you take me seriously? There and, you go. And in terms of coming across an accident and bringing your water, and, and, and uh, if the person, if you ask the person there, do, do you need to be baptized or do you want me to conditionally baptize you? Mm-hmm. If you don't know the formula for baptism, as I I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you have to say that while the water is running over some part of their body. I, ideally, it's oh, the for, head. I, ideally yeah. it's the forehead. But if we're if we're talking about a car crash and they're pinned under yeah. the car and you can't get to them, if all you can get to is their foot or a part of their ankle that you can get to, it has to water has to run over the skin. That's that's what's required for for the the sacrament to to work for this. Mm-hmm. That's the required form, I should say. Now, if it's a case of of, of um, of a subjunctive, uh, a conditional baptism, the the phrase is, if you are capable, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And otherwise, it's exactly the same. But you put that subjunctive on the front of it, if you are capable, then you do it. Now, if you are capable or if you are not already baptized? I thought it was if you are capable. We should look that up. Now, this is going to be an Ask Father Z or something. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I've always... Because that doesn't make sense. I'm not making this up. I mean, I know I've heard that phrase someplace, and I want to say it's from a black robe with a white collar. Um, The the person who's being baptized isn't manifesting a capability because Christ is the actor. No, it's it's, are you capable of receiving baptism? If you have been baptized, for example, you have been baptized. so, So in that case, if you are capable, no, you're not capable. So it's just nothing happens there. But you don't you don't automatically do the full baptism because if you do. Try if you do the normal uh, form of baptism for somebody who's actually been baptized already, that can be a sin. Yeah. Now it's it's, subject, quite, it's, it's, um, it's subjective. It's how, simulating how, a sacrament. Simulating yeah, it, a sacrament. It's it's subjective. How severe of a sacrament? Oh, here it is. Yes. Here it is. The form used for conditional baptism is as followed: If you are not baptized, Mary, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's if you are not baptized, name of the person, I baptize you. Yep. And of course, in a car crash, if there's a problem with with uh, being able to communicate, yeah, obviously, it's not required for the sacrament of, of, of uh, baptism to, to to state the name. To state the name. In, in, the, yeah. in the case of Tiny Princess, things were happening fast. I just simply, you know, poured water and said, "I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost." I mean, more ideally, I should have actually said her name, but you know, it's still valid. It, well, out of just out of curiosity, because that was an emergency baptism, was she then conditionally rebaptized or not? No, no, that that, nope. that was okay. the when we talked about that on the podcast, there is a, a form I had to fill out in, you know, in describing in my own words what what happened. And um, that was the one where the priest got a laugh out of it because he said normally most people just do one or two sentences. And I wrote a page and a half. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much every every possible, you know, circumstance and down to mm-hmm. the phase of the moon almost. I, mean, I was joking about that part exactly, but I was not going to leave anything to 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 chance about whether or not there was any validity to it. And and the whole point was if if anything looked amiss, Father, you go ahead and do the baptism again or conditionally if you think it's necessary. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool. Uh, speaking of sacraments, um, another general reminder: Anne has a traditional Latin ma- requiem mass said every single week for everybody who died during the previous week. Which brings up one of the topics for this podcast: We need to talk about one of the latest victims of COVID nineteen, don't we? <laughs> I think she's been. I think she died about five years ago. Actually, no. Um, that, that's exactly. No, I'm, I'm being serious. Because of COVID nineteen and the interruptions to the supply chains, they couldn't get the animatronics and the batteries and all the other special effects people. Oh. They finally had to declare her dead. And we are, of course, talking about RGB, which stands for Ruth is broiling in Gehenna. Well, maybe um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, member of the Supreme Court. Oh, by the way, so a, a lot of the a lot of the uh, liberal media. Well, I repeat myself on that one, but a lot of the media is is clamoring and screaming that Trump is going to nominate somebody for the Supreme Court, and he didn't even win a a, a um, the majority vote uh, in the general election. Um, who nominated Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the court? Any guesses? Oh, that's right. The guy who won the presidency with, what, 41% or something like that? Yep, we can thank Ross Perot for that. Yes, William yep. Jefferson Clinton didn't even get close to the to the majority. He just won the Electoral College. Yep. So all, all those people can go pound sand as far as I'm concerned. And I have to, I have to say it was <laughs> yesterday, I think, I saw an ace of spades that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's either daughter or granddaughter said that the reason that Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't resign when Obama was still putatively in office so that her replacement would have been nominated by Obama because she was already completely decrepit, sick, diagnosed with cancer, you know, she, she totally should have resigned as sick as she was. Do you know why she didn't do it? Oh, because she was absolutely positive that uh, Hillary Rotten Clinton was going to be elected, and she wanted to be have have her replacement named by yep. a woman. Yep, by the first woman president. And boy, oh boy, that oh, those salty tears. Those are tasty. <laughs> those are tasty. I gotta tell you. So thank thank you for that own goal. Yeah. 
I've heard a rumor that Trump says that he at times identifies as a woman. And since the left says that how you're born genetically doesn't mean whether you're a woman or not, what are they? How do? How can you even determine whether or not uh, somebody is replaced? But you know, how we have a woman president and all the rest. I'm. I am. I am profoundly offended that the fictional construct of sex is even acknowledged anymore. I mean, it. it it doesn't even exist. I mean, that that's the new politically co- correct thing, right? We aren't even allowed to acknowledge that sex exists as a reality. So, yeah. Yeah, and these I, are all I, things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg championed. Uh, she, you know, not necessarily that insanity necessarily, but, you know, she championing um, what's labeled as women's rights, but really was uh, second and third wave feminism mm-hmm. and, and, and pushing a lot of, uh, you know, some of it's not necessarily bad per se, but it's just not in, in norm in line with, with traditional gender roles. You know, if, if women want to set aside the unique privilege that they have by, by the, by the dignity of, of their, their gender and go do what the boys do, it's, it's not becoming, but I guess if you really want to, I mean, in, in most cases, whatever, I mean, like for example, in, in, in my field with programming, there are plenty of women programmers who you know, it's not as it's not necessarily a physically strenuous job. Uh, uh, the only time it, it might be is, is if you're racking and stacking servers. But even then, we don't do that anymore because everything's in the cloud. But um, it's I'm not saying that all women have to stay home and raise kids. It's it's certainly the most one of the more elevated and and uh, sublime ways that that you can shape society and, and that's, that's that's the other thing too women are say we got to have our place in society it's like how about raising the children that is the most impactful thing you can do and of course you look at the the liberal state of society these days it's because so many women didn't raise the children or turned them turned them over to the state so they can go have a career that's why we're we're at where we are yep that's where we are where we're at yeah i think you know what i meant and let us not forget that this whole business of of putting basically all women into the workforce effectively doubled the workforce. And so that is just completely messed with in a very bad way the the whole notion of the of the employment economy in and of itself. Imagine what what unemployment would do if all the women all the women who are in the workforce went back into the home and I mean, the the amount of jobs that would instantly become available for men, it would be so healthy. The the it would be a boon. It would be an economic boon that had probably never been seen before in human history to have all of that employment just totally open up. And then, of course, then what you would have to do is have wage correction. Um, uh, real estate value correction. Obviously, there have to be a massive deflation in the real estate market because um, a single-family home should be able to be paid for easily on a seven-year mortgage at maximum by one man working full-time, working forty to fifty hours a week. It, that it should be easy. That is what the price of a home should be. So if you want to do, you know, the backwards arithmetic on that to figure out that the house that you paid $450,000 for should probably be less than 100000 you know, so that it has to be said, having women enter into the workforce is just economic, economic, catastrophe and it's going to have to be unwound it's going to have to be unwound 
And it's it's probably going to happen in a cataclys- cataclysmic event. It's not going to be pretty because this this is one of these things that's not going to be unwound easily. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it could be argued, and it'll be interesting historically a hundred years from now, as <laughs> if if it's after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, or if we're if the world is still grinding along, looking back and saying, okay, was this Corona scam? And, th- and throwing all the kids basically into homeschooling, was that the first, um, the first purgation? And I mean that in the positive sense, as in like all of our purgations, when almost all of our purgations, I'm sure some of you will go straight to heaven, um, all of our purgations that we will have to have, you know, all of our attachment to sin burned off is maybe this whole corona scam and having all the kids thrown into homeschooling, is this the very, very teeniest, tiniest first step in the purgation of society um, and making people realize, well, we've, we got to educate these kids ourselves. Um, so that means we can't both be working full time anymore. So that means you, who's the lower earner, the woman. Okay. You, the wife pulls back, the mother pulls back. She either quits completely or goes to half time or something like that. And women mothers are forced to start homeschooling their kids again. Hooray. Death, death to public schools, frankly, death, death to mainstream Catholic schools, which are every bit as bad, if not worse, sometimes in terms of the the propagandizing and the indoctrin the Marxist indoctrin indoctrin indoctrination of the children. And praise God, praise God, praise God, death to the university system, which needs to be completely, totally collapsed. The brick and mortar university system needs to be over, like right now. And frankly, hopefully, um, and I think I don't know. Oh, Mark. It was Mark Doherty who um, posted, and I, I'm sure everybody saw this. I think it was on Zero Hedge, the statistics that, you know, the the universities are basically, they've got these kids in, in honest to goodness, concentration camp-like scenarios. Um, that they These kids are imprisoned in their rooms. Um, and it was, the universities were so evil because they kept saying, oh, come back, come back. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. They tricked all these kids into coming back. They get them into the dorms. And for some of them, they got them to sign leases on apartments for the year. And then they say, okay, everybody's now under quarantine. As soon as everyone was on campus and showed up and they had them. They declared them to all be imprisoned, and they declared the whole thing to be basically a concentration camp. And um, the statistics are there have been, you know, they say there are tens of thousands of cases, which just means, what does it mean? Maybe somebody tested positive for having a tiny particle of a seasonal cold virus in their in their sinus cavities so far back in your nose that they stick the Q-tip in it. Apparently it's damn near scratching on your brain case. They stick the Q-tip so far up your nose. Nobody's sick. Nobody has any symptoms. I think two, two students in the entire country have even been hospitalized. And, you know, I'd love to see the health profiles on, on those two people. Um, and any any over unders on how much they weigh um, relative to four hundred pounds, you know, or something like that. Um, 
Oh yeah, there there was there was a, a case out of South Carolina. It's like it's like young, healthy, twenty eight year old public school teacher dies from COVID nineteen. That woman must if, if she was five two, that was as tall as she was, and if she was under three hundred, that was something else. It's like yeah, okay, yep. yeah. I'm not picking on people because they're fat, but but if you are that obese at that age, there's probably other comorbidities as well. Absolutely. And the, yep. the, my other favorite one was I, I forget the name just off the top of my head. I think I retweeted it. I could probably go find it again, but. But it was just, it's like, I, okay, language alert. I'm going to call bullshit anytime the age starts with the, the nine handle and person died of COVID. Right. Somebody with 92 dies of COVID. And I think it was some Motown person um, who finally uh, succumbed to it. Um, I, I, I've, pro- I've, I've mentioned No Agenda uh, podcast multiple times on, on our podcast. And I was listening to one of the episodes while on vacation. And one of the people wrote in talking about their uh, their was it uh, Swedish or, or Finnish grandmother? It was one of the Nordics and 92 years old. And she was upset that COVID didn't kill her. <laughs> so it's it, the whole point is like, by the time you get into the, into your nineties, like they're kind of waiting for it anyway, at that point. And it's, it's like, they're, they're, they're not, all, they're not, they're not always finding it, but you know, those, those, those good old grandmothers who just are have full of spunk. And it's like, damn it. I didn't die yet. <laughs> yeah, that it's, would that would have been my grandmother if if she were still alive. She would have been like, "Damn it, what? Uh, seriously, <laughs> she she was uh, uh, she was it, it was frustrating sometimes because she she just she hated being old and she hated you know not being one hundred percent physical capability and it 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 got to her and it pissed her off and her ma- and it made her angry in the very at the very end of her life but the other one that um within the last 24 hours that i heard if y'all remember towards the beginning of this in the spring sometime there was a baby that died and i think it was pennsylvania i think that i think it was SMP, michigan or oh, okay okay the baby dies and they come out and say oh my gosh infant dies of covid and the family's like y'all hold the phone that is not why this baby died everybody just needs to cool their jets but of course the government keeps saying baby died of covid baby died of covid and the family's like look we're not going to give full details but that is not why this child died do you know what it was revealed today that child's condition was it was born with its abdominal intestinal organs outside of its body that's why that is the why the baby died and then of course they tacked um covid died with covid and say oh look babies are dying of this the child was not going to survive i mean that happens that babies are born with sometimes they're born with their brains outside of their skulls sometimes they're born with some or all of their thoracic or abdominal organs outside of their body that was this baby and the family's just like how dare you how dare you bastards use this tragedy of our child who was, and interestingly, a lot of times those babies are born alive. What a grace that is. So, you know, as circling back, 
get that little person baptized. And then, I mean, obviously they're not going to live long. And usually, you know, in a, a civilized culture, the child is born, the child is baptized, the child is wrapped in a blanket and the parents hold the baby until the baby dies. You know, that's, it's just, it's civilized. Um, but of course this had to be made into this propaganda thing. And the family was pissed, pissed off and rightfully so. How evil how evil do you have to be to to take political lying political advantage of something like that it's just oh man this the, I, i'm i'm looking forward to whatever purgation is going to come out of this because this business of these psychopaths just running absolutely everything this can't go on these people have have got to meet a brick wall somewhere and there have to be some consequences and hopefully that's going to be coming here it's going to be hard and it's going to be ugly but i think everybody listening to this fully understands this cannot go on like this with these demoniac psychos just just grinding everyone under their heel um but Again, waiting for the resistance to come, waiting for people to stop sitting around staring and watching this again like it's a like it's a spectator event. It's not. This is this is participation, my friends. Well, and I'm going to mention the No Agenda podcast a couple more times here. And we've mentioned uh, before multiple times, a lot of times these, these, these hospitals are going to claim COVID coding on this because they're going to get twenty-nine dollars to $59,000, whatever the yep. number is. But that's not what I didn't realize. It's not just the hospitals that get the money automatically when there's a COVID case, but the state Medicare will also get a, um, a, a kickback. And it depends on the state and their historic uh, historically how much money they normally get. I think in Alabama, it's like $167,000 per case. In Florida, it's 225000 So North Dakota is $337,000 per case. Okay, Good so there's a, there's a massive, massive monetary incentive to get yep. as many positive test results as you can, including testing somebody five times and calling it five cases. That has definitely yep. happened. Secondary thing, and this is in today's uh, episode of No Agenda. I haven't listened to it all yet. The inventor of the PCR test, which is being, that's the, the primary test being used for testing whether or not you're, you're positive on, on uh, COVID-19. It was also used for evaluating whether or not you, you were positive with AIDS. There is a particular protocol you have to go through, and, and basically they take a, a, a sample and they spin it in a centrifugal uh, device. And, it has to, and, and, and the, the guy says you go through only a certain number of times. It's 30, 30 spin cycles is what you're supposed to run through on this. He says if you keep spinning it and spinning it and spinning it, it, it you, you can find evidence of anything in, 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 in a human sample because it's, it's, it's almost like the... Oh, what did he say? It was, it's, it's almost like the um, the Buddhist idea that everything is within us. You can take a sample from somebody who's not positive for anything, spin it 45 times, and show that they're, po- they're positive for everything. Well, huh. in a lot of these uh, samples, and um, one, one of the anonymous uh, tipsters uh, sending in emails to the No Agenda Show who works at Abbott Labs, and they've got, they've got uh, folks working at other labs saying, yeah, our protocols are saying 45 spin cycles. They are intentionally, you know, analyzing the samples in a way that they get as many positives as possible. Yeah. Of you've course. got, you've set aside the, the, the money angle of it. What, who else is benefiting from this? How about everyone who wants to cry state of emergency? Uh, we have to, nobody can go out without a mask on. We can't go vote in person. We have to have mail in ballots. And I saw another, 
another uh, story today that uh, the FBI got called in because uh, in, in, in Pennsylvania, they found a bunch of discarded mailed-in ballots from uh, military members. All the discarded ballots were voted for Trump. Yep, of course. So, you know, this this is going to be an absolute cluster bleep come November. Yep, yep. And uh, people are like, well, who do, who do you think is going to win? Well, in a certain sense, it doesn't matter because there's – it's it's going to be an absolute shit show whatever happens if if the votes are counted it will if the votes were counted it's going to be an absolute trump slide i mean that's anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows that that's the case biden the only people who are supporting biden are basically the retards who are out in the street um, the demoniacs who are doing that crap. There's no Biden yard signs anywhere. There's nobody going out for, I mean, ever. and look, everybody knows the guy is dying of dementia. And by the way, do I think that the debates are going to happen? I don't think so. I think that they are going to claim that, um, that creepy Joe has um, symptoms. And so for, for safety, it's going to have to be postponed or something like that and it'll never happen there's no possible way he can't even if you had and there's people talking about the fact now that they speculate that he's had a um a cheating device implanted literally in his skull behind his ear um they can they can actually this is a very real technology they can implant um yes like a cochlear implant a cochlear implant, but what it does is that then you can pick up a broadcast of, you know, someone can like talk to you and you can hear it because it's it's reverberating against your skull. And so it travels, it's an, an incredibly efficient means of moving sound through a solid, a solid surface. And so it's like this de facto cochlear implant thing where he can receive um, coaching and so forth, completely wirelessly, invisibly in his skull. And don't think that this is some crazy cuckoo pants sci-fi. No, this is a very real technology. It's been around for for quite a while now, actually. Well, um, the, the low-tech version of it is in play on anyone you see on TV. You get that little clear thing going into their ear with a little coiled tube. It's called an mm-hmm. IFB, which is, I forget what it stands for exactly, but that's so the producers can talk to the to the, the on-air talent and either feed them their lines if the teleprompter fails or or tell them, hey, hurry up and, and, and get this guest out of here uh, right. or, or, or whatever, or ask them this particular question. And depending upon how talented the, the person is with an IFB, you can either see them come to a complete stop and like, look, because they're, you know how somebody will, if they're, you know, they've got headphones on and, and, mm-hmm. and, and they're getting intermittent communications from somebody, if they're talking to you and all of a sudden they stop and they avert their eyes because they're concentrating on the on the voice in their ear or, or coming through their skull, they they the eyes will move to indicate mm-hmm. that they're 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 concentrating on something else and even some of the best on air talent give away the fact that they're being told something over their IFB from time to time and these are million dollar talents on, on national tv there's yep. no way that joe biden who's had his head cut open three times and exposed to the air is going to be able to pull off IFB level skills you yep. know beyond what brian lying williamson's going to do it's it, that's exactly right. He is so far gone that even if he had a teleprompter in front of him with a coach in his ear, he is so far gone that he can't even do that. I don't think that they're going I don't see how they could possibly let this go forward. And there there isn't enough amphetamine to give him to straighten that out even for an hour. I don't think there's anything you can do because he's that far gone. 
Um, so yeah. And, and they, they are scared to do the, the, um, the debates too. I mean, they, Trump was making the comment that they're going to give him some big shot in the butt to, to pump him up on something. And, and that might be able to get him through an, a 90 minute televised debate. But what was, I thought was interesting is, is Joe Rogan, who I think we've talked about him before and said that he is no conservative. He is a liberal dude. Yeah. He, somebody suggested it was one of the people who had been on his podcast suggested Trump and Biden sit down with Joe Rogan on on his um, on his podcast and just do a four hour debate and let Rogan moderate it. Rogan's a pretty middle of the road person. He he definitely skews more left than 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 conservative. But he's he'd a, be he, fair though. He would be compl- I trust him to be completely fair about it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He he would he would want to explore why is the politician stating this? Why go back and watch his his um, his interview with Bernie Sanders? It, it's it's a or, or any of the politicians. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was another good one to watch. Um, the, he, 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 just because the people are talking about topics that he doesn't necessarily know about off the top of his head doesn't mean he doesn't, doesn't have an active intelligence and, and curiosity to be able to get to a level of trying to understand why somebody is, is espousing what they're, they're, he'd be, he'd be an awesome moderator for a sit down yep. four hour debate. Biden wouldn't even have to stand. He can, he can reference his cue cards. And and it would be great, but as soon as that re- that recommendation came out uh, in the media, immediately the media started slamming um, Joe Rogan as anti-LGBT, anti-woman, totally you know right-wing shill, blah blah blah, because mm-hmm. he made the comment in the context of of which way does this go? It's, it's the trans person who was born as a male and pretends they're a woman, whether or not they have surgery. Joe Rogan said that those people, if they want to get into MMA, they need to be banned from fighting them with, uh, in the, in the MM, the women's MMA because men have faster response times. Naturally, they have greater bone density. They have yeah. greater musculature. It's going to be literal. It's going to kill a woman. It's going to kill that, that's women. That's what he said. Yeah. It's going to literally be murder yeah. to, to let a trans man, not somebody who's like milled pack 700th in the, in the world, there, she, yep. You could put that person up against Ronda Rousey at her height and would kill her. Would kill her. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it it's, doesn't matter. And it doesn't even matter if, if the man has been taking estrogen and has grown boobs. And it, that doesn't even matter. He'd still kill a woman, even with all the estrogen pumping through his body. Yeah. It's well, the, a complete uh, joke. The other way he put it is would you let a, um, a woman who's naturally born a woman who's been on testosterone doping uh, her entire life and all kinds of drugs and everything to to you know mimic the the musculature and the body build of a man would you let that person fight a natural woman an un, an unmedicated undoped woman and well, almost everybody would, almost everyone would say no and it's like well then why the hell would you let a trans whatever come in there claim to be a woman and beat the living daylights out of yep. a woman. I mean, this yep. is why spousal abuse, man hitting on a woman is such a, a vile thing. It's, it's you're, you're supposed to be protecting the weaker sex, not beating him to death. And that's exactly and it, what it is not a fair fight. And that's why historically um, it has been, shall we say socially acceptable for, for men to come to fisticuffs and, you know, it used to be that, you know, if two guys got in a fight, they could step outside and beat the crap out of each other and the cops wouldn't be called. You know, it would be it would be a scuffle. It would be a skirmish. It would be a fisticuffs. That's cool. That's OK. It is not cool for a man to go after a woman like that because 
the fight is so unfair if you're talking just physical to physical now, of course, and then they preach to us when we go do our firearms training that, you know, carrying a sidearm is, is the great equalizer in that sense. The only hope that a woman has if she is attacked by an adult man is basically she needs to have something that levels the playing field. And that, that is a, that is a sidearm. So, yeah. Yeah, I something I, I cannot to which I cannot relate is is being a woman mid five feet tall, five four, whatever. And in, if you're in a dangerous situation like that, it doesn't matter how determined your crazy eyes are looking. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have to use deadly force if somebody is bearing down on you, as opposed to if you're you know six and a half feet tall and in in my case back. 20 years ago and I was in the Navy, the closest I ever came to getting in a legitimate bar fight. And I actually wanted to fight somebody. This is on Vancouver Island of all places. I, I forget what all we were doing, but you know, sailors, we, we travel in a pack and I forget who started what it was probably over a girl. And, 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 um, I was with the, the, the group of the guys and, and, and it was these bikers from Vancouver Island showed up at this bar. And it's just one of these things. If you have to look up at the person who's, who's bearing down on you, you tend to back down quickly. So I've never been in a fight. Uh, I'm just saying that. So if, if it was any similar situation with, with concealed carry and, and it came to use of deadly force, I suspect it probably would go the same way because it's just that look of determination. It's like, I will harm you if I have to. Uh, it, it, it's, it's different coming from a man than it is from a woman who's not of a big size. So, you know, I've, I've, I never really thought about that until you mentioned it just now going through arms training, but, um, yeah, we're still, it's all Ruth Bader Ginsburg's fault. I mean, that that is the, the, the topic from which we've made so many tangents here. We probably should get back to talking about her, you know, partial birth abortion is, is air quotes legal in part because of her. Yep. Um, and you know the thing that's so fascinating about her is that she was basically openly a racist and openly what do you call it when you're when you're prejudiced against the poor? She oh she said there are quotes attributed to her and I think there's even video still floating around of her saying that you know we we just can't have all of these poor people. You know, we have to have abortion because we can't have all of these poor people. That I mean, sounds he, like he, just Ivy League Jewish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I'm not being racist. Cares. I mean, Ivy League Wasp would say the same thing as well. I mean, these are the mm-hmm. same people mm-hmm. from which Margaret Sanger came. And and the whole point of Margaret Sanger, in addition to getting rid of the blacks and the non-whites, was to get rid of the poor people and the Catholics. And that, that they thought we yep. could, we could um, through Planned Parenthood and, and euthanasia, and no, not, not euthanasia, it was um, eugenics, get mm-hmm. rid of all the people deemed unacceptable, which basically is non-Wasp class. I don't know why the Jews count, but they do as, as to the wasps. Yeah. And so it's it's really interesting to me that, you know, you've got Margaret Sanger, you've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying all this stuff openly. And yet these people, they they just completely are willing to ignore it, sweep it under the rug. Why? Because they want to have they want to fornicate. They want to have sex without consequences. And that is the most important thing. And everything else, you can lie, you can cheat, you can sweep things under the rug, you can get on board with eugenicists and and um, genocidal maniacs. That's no problem. The most important thing is that you continue to be able to have either sex or sodomy. And it's, it's a very similar, um, it's a very similar dynamic with sodomy 
um, that the most important thing, people wonder why, you know, you've got the Vatican and it's completely overrun with sodomites, but there are sodomites that are hard left, there are sodomites that are centrist, there are sodomites on the right. And why aren't they like all exposing each other? Why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't they do that? Because the most important thing to sodomites is the sodomy. And so there's, it's called the code of Omerta. They won't go after each other on that because you, you, you're kind of all on the same team in the sense of sodomy. You protect the sodomy and then you fight your wars over this other stuff, over political stuff or liturgical stuff or whatever, whatever, wherever you want to pitch your tent. Um, but the, it's it's hands off the sodomy. It's the same thing in the broad culture. It's hands off the sex. Why in the world do you think all this Me Too stuff has just now started coming out? Everybody knows. Everybody knew for decades and decades what Harvey Weinstein was. Everyone knew for decades and decades who all these people were, who were rapists and sexual assaulters and all of this. Why didn't anyone say anything? Why is this just happening now? Because at long last, finally, we're far enough along in the collapse of civilization that now that last, um, that last layer of protection is now breaking down. And that is the sexual misconduct. And so now they're starting to turn on each other. And I wrote a piece on this, and we'll put this in the show notes, um, that when the, when the code of Omerta among the sodomites in the Vatican breaks down, look out, baby. It is going to be like sharks in chum. It is going to be an absolute feeding frenzy. When those people turn on each other, it's one of the ugliest things in human existence. And boy, it, it just can't happen soon enough as far as I'm concerned. Well, and that's going to scandalize a whole lot of people. So that's, you know, the fact that we bring it up and talk about it, it's not to point and look, say, hey, there's there's a sodomite in, in, a, in a red cassock. No, it's, it's so that you don't lose their faith, your faith when, when this, you know, something that should be unthinkable is yeah. becomes public or more public than it already is. I mean, it's kind of, if you can't see it already, then I guess you're not looking. And yeah. uh, talking about sexual perversions and, and uh, the, the, the rule of, of sex basically in, in society, I think I sent you the link of the, the, the person who penned a, an op-ed in, in the Huffington Post, which, you know, again, consider the source, but somebody, be, when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, or no, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg pushed me to join the satanic temple. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 the, this person, this this woman, was was saying all through this, like Ruth, with with Ruth Bader Ginsburg now going to be replaced, presumably by a Trump nominee. It's almost certain that uh, our right to choose over our bodies is going to be taken away from us. Um, and she even says, "I never had an abortion, but I want my daughters to have the the right to be able to do that if they want." It's like, how about raise your daughters better? But mm. it's. It's insanity. I mean, I, I, there, there's nothing logical to say about it. It's insanity. And what was interesting about that piece and what um, I've also written about this, we'll put this in the show notes too. Um, most of the people in the United States today who openly claim to be Satanists and belong to these satanic organizations, they are, they're very quick to say, listen, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in angels. We don't believe in demons. We don't believe in Satan. We don't believe that there's any such thing. We're atheists. 
we we call ourselves Satanists to prove to prove a point about we want you know we want abortion on demand we want um, ratification of sodomy da 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 da. So there's two types of Satanists in the world. Um, in the United States, especially, there's a lot of those. The ones I just described, they think they think because they they're atheists and they don't believe in anything super or preternatural. Um, that it's no harm, no foul that they do this. They think it's they think they're m- making a cute rhetorical point, and there's not any real consequences to this. We all know that these people are literally playing with fire that they cannot even begin to imagine, and that Satan and all of the demons. 100% believes in them and Satan and the demons are a bunch of legalistic bastards and these people are going to be held. They are going to be held to everything that they've done. And f- in order for them to get out of this, I'm, I mean, again, this would be somewhere where a theologian and preferably an exorcist would need to chime in on this. I think if you have been doing stuff wherein you are openly proclaiming that you are a Satanist and a member of this satanic temple, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if just simply going to confession is is going to be sufficient for that. Um, I don't know if that's one of the sins that that's reserved to the Holy See. I don't know if that's, or, or if you would need to have um, specific prayers of liberation said over you. In order to break those bonds, I don't. I don't know if it's quite as easy as you know. All of us, we just go to confession, and you know, we have our sins, and every sin is an infinite horror and an infinite um, crime against God and His infinite goodness and 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 purity. Um, well, but, and if you're in that state as you're listening to this, which is probably unlikely, but just in case there's somebody out there we're talking to who's never heard this before and you're hearing this, just go to confession and the priest will guide you. That's the, yeah. It's like talking on a tele, talking through a telephone to God. The priest is the telephone. Your God is the one who is performing the sacrament. Um, talking about the, this, this uh, article, though, about the person who decided to join the Satanic Temple, I want to read a, a quote from the article. The person says, reading through the seven tenets, and I'm talking about the Church of Satan or whatever, mm-hmm. I was struck by how closely they aligned with the unwritten code I had used I had I had used to try to live my own life by for several years. Yeah. I realized that these were my people, and I had been a Satanist for several years without even knowing it. End quote. And this is uh, this is in this text chain that I sent to you. Isn't this the Masonic goal to steer society in such a way that people reach the same conclusion? Yep. I've been a Satanist all these years, and I didn't even know it. Yep. Well, that's the whole point of secular society. This is why you want to separate church and state. As opposed to having the the moral authority of the church guiding the state, so you don't end up in this stupid situation. Yeah, it's and you, we might all. It might not be a bad idea to just take a look and see what the seven fundamental tenets are. Number one: one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Even Number trees. Two, uh, yeah, right. That sounds like. Um, idolatry earth, earth and worship. Earth worship yep number two the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions isn't that interesting well justice is a virtue should prevail over laws and institutions 
that but of course I mean we see that what they're going to argue their what their definition of justice is demands that the laws of society and uh, uh, especially institutions obviously the church well see this is where, this be, is where the yeah. medium fails is you can't see that I'm smirking when I say that because I know that what they're meaning by justice is social justice and uh, one of the priests who was doing an adult catechism class years ago was was talking about we were going through the Summa St. Thomas's Summa and we, we covered justice and there was like three or four different points and he made a side note after he finished the topic on justice said by the way we didn't cover social justice in this because it's not in St. Thomas Summa, but it is in Dust Capital. And then he's like, ends that and goes on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Number three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the, the whole law. Of the law. Yep. That that was the point. Okay, when I read through that article and I saw that, okay, there is Alistair Crowley in full relief right there. Yep. That's Do it. what you want. That is the law. Mm-hmm. And the only sin is... Um, Telling you that you can't do what you want. The, no, the only sin is is believing that sin exists or something like that. There's, It's something like that. The only sin is believing that sin is real or something like that. Yeah, it's... It's bad. Uh, yeah, but, if, but if you're saying that that uh, do what you want is the whole of the law, then anybody who is telling you the opposite of that, that is the real sin. So if you want to go and be absolutely profligate and, and promiscuous and then decide to have a surgical procedure, in your own words, to fix the inconvenience, well, then anybody who tells you that's wrong, well, they're the sinner because you whatever you want to do in, in, is that's what you want to do, then it's, that's the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to skip to number seven, and I just want to see if this raises anybody's hackles. Every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Who, who else just goes on and on and on about the spirit. Evangelicals. Uh, also the anti-pope. Constantly well, yeah. talking about the spirit. And you're like, which one are you talking about? If it ain't the Holy Spirit, I don't really care. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Just very interesting. All these, um, I just want to close this tab now because I don't like having a tab that says the Satanic Temple open in my browser. So there we go. <laughs> Do we need to pause while Anne goes to wash her hands now? Yeah, right. It might not be a bad idea. Oh, speaking of evangelicals, so all the hue and cry of, of RBG is dying is that the presumption on the left is that Donald J. Trump is going to uh, appoint Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And Amy Coney Barrett is, what, 47 years old, has seven kids, five of her own and two adopted uh, from Haiti. Extraordinarily pro-life. I didn't realize she was considered to be a charismatic Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, to me, that kind of like uh, was the second red flag. The first red flag being that she is connected with Notre Dame and was a professor there. I don't remember if she graduated from there or not, but... Um, I don't know. Um, she's she's the pre- she's the presumptive front runner. The other big flag with her that I saw is that she swears up and down that she thinks that legal precedent is 
sacrosanct, basically, which means, I mean, these people consider Roe v. Wade to be legitimate legal precedent. So that's problematic right there. And she's been very much um, an enthusiastic participant in the corona scam and all of that. Again, sorry, kids, but hell of a big, big red flag if you can't identify the largest crime against humanity that has ever been executed. And it's, it's obvious. It's just obvious what it is. How can we say, well, this will turn out all right. This will be okay. Ma, I'm afraid you might be getting your next David Hackett suitor situation here. You know, I mean, and care- careful because like Super Nerd said, this chick is 47 years old. So assuming that, you know, we keep grinding on and there's no triumph of the immaculate heart, et cetera, et cetera. This woman could be sitting on the bench for 40 years. Although there was somebody who's who's apparently on the short list as well who graduated from Duke Law School in 2008. I think she's in her 30s, and she's on the short list to possibly oh, get on the court man. as well. But with Oof. regard to Amy Coney Barrett, it, I believe she clerked for Scalia. Mm-hmm. And Scalia, even though all judges, uh, all U.S. judges, uh, the ones who are textualists and, and uh, we would say conservative because they're actually interpreting the laws as they are written— will will hold the the principle of stare decisis in other words um i forget what that exactly translates to in from the latin but it means that any established or or, or any any precedent that has been settled we're not going to overturn simply because we don't um believe in it however my question is how how uh devoted of a disciple was she of scalia one of the books that I audiobooks that I got from uh, Audible, and I keep meaning to go back and finish, but it just it, it's awesome, but it's also dry at the same time. It's called Scalia Descents, and it's simply uh, the narrator reading Antonin Scalia's Descents, which are mm-hmm. legendary. These are going to be read, assuming the world doesn't end. These are going to be read for hundreds of years mm-hmm. because, and, and nobody's going to give a crap about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said because she said trite stuff that nobody cares about it's gone in five minutes they've already forgotten her her opinions and dissents mm-hmm. scalia's de, scalia's opinions and dissents will be studied for centuries he made a comment in in one of his dissents on one of the abortion um topics that came before the court that law it was i don't know if it was the one um in pennsylvania where they lost by one vote five four when, when the liberals still have the majority but he he hints in his dissent that if Roe v. Wade ever was directly challenged, stare decisis would not apply because it was not properly adjudicated at the time as a law should be. It was an act of judicial uh, activism by the court mm-hmm. rather than interpretation of the law as written. It would and have to be completely vacated. Yeah, and exactly. It would, it, it's null. It's basically null. And he and has, and, and he said that on multiple occasions. And it was always assumed that if it ever came to the question of if we if we re uh, adjudicate uh, Roe v. Wade, Scalia would have, would definitely be the leading vote to say. Uh, it, well, it'd be a running gun battle between Scalia and Thomas to be shooting it down and and overturning mm-hmm. it. If Amy Coney Barrett is that kind of disciple of Scalia, then I have hope that maybe, maybe she could. The problem is that she's a Notre Dame product. 
Yeah. Um, so who knows what that means these days. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be a 6-3 conservative majority. It's going to be a 5-4 at best because Kavanaugh is a Jesuit. And he yep. has already shown that he will not hold the Catholic line because the uh, the he was one of the votes um, overturning the Louisiana law that required, uh, if I remember correctly, it was it had to do with abortion and that abortion doctors had to have admitting privilege in the closest available surgical hospital uh, if something went wrong. Mm-hmm. And they decided to over, and he was one of the votes saying, nope, that's a bad law. Now, I, I probably, I'm not a lawyer, so maybe there was something in there that was you know, judicially feasible. The other thing that, that, um, that, um, Kavanaugh wasn't good on is that the whole thing recently where where they, they said that sex in the in the the word sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Amendment uh, also counts for transgendered and gay and all the rest. Yeah, it is yep. uh, is because it wasn't that he didn't think that um, transgender and gay shouldn't have their rights protected. It was the fact that the way that this court was going about redefining that the, his 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 opinion it was um he i think he dissented from it because it didn't matter though uh his his opinion was that that the the wording wasn't strong enough because any opinion by a, by the supreme court could be revisited at a later time with regard to what does a word actually mean and the argument that we now understand the word to mean something different than what it meant at the time is contradictory to the way uh, laws have always been interpreted. So, in mm-hmm. other words, they, I think I've mentioned this it's before. It's the mind the, of the legislator. It's the mind well, of the you, legislator. Well, you have to go back. When, when, when there's a question of what does the word mean, you, in, in, in American uh, jurisprudence, you always have to go back to what what did the word mean at the time when the law was written. And yep. I've, I've mentioned multiple times on the podcast, Daniel Webster's dictionary was written because he recognized the English language was drifting so fast that before long, people wouldn't be able to understand the actual intended meanings of the words in the King James Bible. Uh-huh. So the dictionary was meant to fix at that at, for for that particular point in time what did the words actually mean? So that when you look at a biblical passage and words start to get confusing, what does what does the word is mean if you're a Clinton? You look up in Daniel mm-hmm. Webster's dictionary and you look to see what does the word is mean. And that's how you can do a, a your own interpretation of the scriptures at that point. Now, okay, set aside the fact that that's all bunk anyway because you the authentic interpretation of the scriptures come from Rome. Anyway, um, when it comes to legal documents, you're supposed to interpret this with the understanding of what the words mean at the time. Yep. Nobody. The, nobody and guys, this is like semester one law school. This isn't some super-duper advanced concept. I mean, think, think about how fundamental this is. Think how basic this is. What, what in the hell do those words mean? Well, it's the mind of the person who wrote it. What does the Constitution mean? What does the Second Amendment mean? Why, have we been, why, have we, why are we constantly talking about what did the founding fathers mean when they wrote the Second Amendment? What did they mean by standing militia? What did they mean by these things? Why and my is personal it relevant? favorite. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What, do they mean, what do they mean by natural born citizen? Oh, I can answer that. I can tell you exactly what they meant by it. You know, I mean, uh, yes. Why, why does the why do the opinions of the of the writers of the Federalist Papers matter when it comes to parsing 
uh, constitutional decisions in the Supreme Court. Yeah, it all goes back to what what did the words mean? What did they think? And, and how did they express that at the time when the Constitution was written or when the amendments were written or when the Civil Rights Act was written in 1964? Yeah. Yes, they were gay people. They were, probably were trans people as well, but that's not what Congress meant. This is at a point in time when even the Democrats were pro-life and abhorred the idea of abortion and homosexuality. And sodomy was not even discussed ever in, in polite company, ever. People went through their entire lives not even knowing that sodomy existed. And we're not talking about sheltered type people. We're talking about completely normal people went through their entire lives, didn't even know that people do those things. So, yeah. Yeah, so Amy Coney Barrett, um, if she is a true disciple of Scalia in the textualist sense, then maybe there's hope that she could be a very good justice. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't know. The other one they're talking about is the Cuban lady. Um, I don't know anything about her. I really don't. Other than, Again, they, they, I, I, other than they think they could flip Florida for some votes if they do that. I don't I don't think they'd – I think Florida is, is probably pretty safe. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I just – whoever – can we – and you know what? Just Can I just put on the record what makes me sick is all of this damn, well, we have to nominate a woman. We have to have this. We have to have that. Why can't we nominate the most qualified person? Why, why is that not even, look how far the Overton window is shift. Here we are sitting around here talking about, well, it's a foregone conclusion that he has to nominate a woman. Why? Why is it a foregone conclusion that he has to nominate a woman? If he has, if he has to scrape the bottom of the barrel and get some 39-year-old kid, because that's the best he can do, clearly, clearly that's not right. There has to be a man running around somewhere who is as qualified, if not more qualified. And you know what? He's he's not going to get nominated because he's X Y. <laughs> I, I, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm I'm just not about this. I'm about meritocracy, you know. And I'm saying that as a person who was in a very extremely masculine dominated, as it well should be, business and. I'm here to tell you if you, if all this garbage about women weeping and wailing about I didn't get a fair shake, I didn't get this glass ceiling that give me a break. I was in one of the most male dominated industries that there is and I had absolutely no problem. And you know why I had no problem? Because I had the goods. I had the chops. And that's it. I only I need to sit around weep and wail. People are being mean to me. Actually, nobody was mean to me. That I've told the story before. The funniest thing that ever happened to me is I did a huge school in Canada, and one of the first guys to arrive in the morning came up and asked me if if the coffee was coming. And I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go back in the kitchen and I'll check and make sure the coffee's on its way out. I think it's on its way out." So I go in and check and you know find the staff, and they say, "Yeah, yeah, it's brewing. It's on its way. It'll be in a, in about five minutes." So I go back out and tell them it'll be there in five minutes, and then five minutes pass and it didn't come out. And he came up and he asked me again, because Canadians are all about their coffee. And um, I said, oh, yeah, I'll go check on it again. So I went and checked on it again. And here it came, you know. 
And at the end of the school, after the two days, this guy comes up to me and he's, he's damn near about ready to cry. And he's like, I have to apologize to you. I say, what, what, what happened? What happened? What happened? And he said, yesterday morning, I thought you were the hotel lady. And that, that, that is the only thing basically of that of, of that kind that happened to me during my career and it was completely benign and completely cute. I did have one bad client. I think I've talked about that long ago on the podcast. I had one bad client who was a genuinely terrible person. Um, but you know what? F for all the clients that I had to have one guy that was a jerk in a, in a male female way, Man, I had the best clients in the world and I had no problem whatsoever. All of this female, rah, rah, rah. the reason you don't excel, sweetie, is because you just aren't as good at whatever it is. Women, women are better disposed to certain things. Men are better disposed to certain things. And it's very rare that a woman can enter into one of those things, which is more towards the male disposition and really genuinely excel. Um, another example of this would be like mathematics, engineering, physics, things like that. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but on a percentage basis, men are just way better at that than women are. Is it possible for there to be incredible female mathematicians who who win a Fields Medal or whatever? Sure, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. But you're, it's it's absolute madness. It's a madness to expect that the field of mathematics is going to be 50% women. That's madness. And it's the same thing. It's probably the same thing with law. I mean, women just aren't as good at thinking in a logical, ordered progression. And that has crept into all facets of society. That's why men are now not very good at thinking in a logical ordered progression because the culture has been so feminized. And they, they started taking things out of the curriculum that women, that girls were not excelling at and that boys were excelling at in, in the name of equalizing everything. Why do we need to have another female Supreme Court justice? Why does everyone take this for granted? It is in and of itself a tragedy that the most qualified, I think it's obvious to everybody, the most qualified person in the United States, the most qualified jurist is not going to get nominated the way that they should be. So, Well, at the level of the Supreme Court, you're, you're also looking at you know, politics at, at, a, at a level that you're not going to see at, at, at other levels of, of, of the judiciary. I'm sure there are some outstanding judges and, and, and jurists at lower levels who want nothing to do with the politics that go on in Washington. And I, I got to take that, that speaks to the point that it's a, it's it's basically turned into a super legislature, a super legislative body, and that's not what it should be. The fact that we're sitting here talking about the politics indicates that there's something amiss here. That there that we don't even we don't expect them to be jurists. We expect them to be members of a super legislature, and which is how the Supreme Court now operates. Basically, well, that's how the Democrats want them to operate. This is true. Huh? But even for conservative presidents, for somebody to get on their radar to be a prospective Supreme Court justice, it is a matter of politics. Mm -hmm. I, I know I know lawyers locally who would make you know who actually are judges who probably would be 
superb judges and, and excellent textualists at the Supreme Court level. They might be intimidated by it, but you know, it's just it's the same law. It's just you're doing it at a different level in, in the hierarchy of the law. They're happy being small court judges here where they can spend time with their family as opposed to being mm-hmm. in the Supreme Court. But to even be in that consideration at that level, you've got to be playing politics to the point that you, the president knows who you are, you know who the president is, etc. And I've got to take exception with a couple of things you said there with, with regard to women don't have the ability to do things. I, I, I know several women who are, you know, for example, okay, logical uh, mathematician types, uh, probably the, the smartest mathematician I know is a female and also a master's level chemist as well. Um, it, it's, it's not something that's gender based. It's, it's intellect based. I don't know why the male brain dominates that. And and maybe it's, maybe the female brain just doesn't find it as fascinating because they, I, I don't know. I don't know why Mm -hmm. women of that ability don't go that direction. And I I look at um, one of my daughters. I I joke that she probably could be a Supreme Court justice or could be a lawyer. She could be scary smart. But at some point along the line, being a woman is going to take over, I suspect. And I'm not being sexist, and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm eager to find out how this turns out. But she is scary smart. And I mean that sincerely. It's like the thing she says and the thing she comes up with, it's like I wasn't coming up with this at her age. Mm-hmm. Changing channels slightly. At, just in, in my field, programming. It, it is a superpower if you're a woman and you're every bit as good as a, as, as a man programming. Some of the smartest programmers I've seen and some of the most intimidating <laughs> actually have been women. Uh, it, it, it's because they've had to overcome a lot of, you know, Hey honey, go get the coffee or something like that. <laughs> and, 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 uh, it, and so they, they've fought through that and they, they rise to the point that their intellect really is prized for its abilities. And, and, and so in, in a lot of fields in this particular age, if you are in any minority class whatsoever and you have real ability you skyrocket to the head of the class. It's unfair to white men. But you know what? Yep. I'm not complaining either. It's just go out there and do the work. Yeah. Ultimately, it there are road bumps and there are um there there are some some um flies in the ointment, but it still for the moment is mostly a meritocracy outside of political fields. I mean, if you're in a in a field like computer programming or some kind of hard science and even law if you can get the work done that's what matters get results i hope i hope that you are correct that it is still mostly that way kind of my perception but and granted you're you're still involved in you know corporate culture and so forth through your job and i'm not um uh, my perception as I sit here in my ivory tower is that the, the whole meritocracy was just basically collapsing. And now almost all hires were being made based upon some, you know, racial or sex or sexual perversion metric, you know? So I hope you, I hope, I hope you're right. And I hope I'm wrong on this. There, okay. So talking about programming there have been cases in the past where and i've definitely been on the side of the table where i'm interviewing clients that's i've done that in a lot of the jobs i've been in and we have gotten guidance from hr um give special consideration to people who are diverse and 
I never, I never quite um, had the, um, what's the right word? Um, Gumption? No, it, it's, it's not balls. It's more like the, uh, it's, it's, no, 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 it's, it's more the cheekiness to say, so you want me to hire somebody who's not good at this and will screw over the company <laughs> just because they're diverse. That would be cheeky. <laughs> right. I was, I was trying to think of the right term because, because, uh, we, there, there was one particular case where we, we hired, we, we, no, we didn't hire the person. We interviewed somebody and this is at the job where one of the best female programmers I've ever worked with was also in the interview. So <laughs> I guess we had HR top cover from that perspective as well. This person could not answer the most basic of, of programming questions and and uh it, it was embarrassing it was so embarrassing we're kind of looking at each other like three questions into the interview it's like do we just call it now or do we continue with this charade and we did the full interview and and it was and, and hr was like well why didn't you like this person it's like because they don't know what the hell they're doing yeah. Do you want us to lose money or what? <laughs> what was the person self-aware? Did they know that they were embarrassing themselves or no? Wow. Oof. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> oh well. And, and, and of course, and of course, I have, I have to. This is like a tangent to a tangent to a tangent. Programming is one of those weird fields that pro, that interviewing for for a software engineer is so strange. Because I'm not saying that that person who did horribly in our interview might not have been able to do good at another company. Another person at that same company uh, that we interviewed, um, another, not a woman, but we'll say uh, HR would definitely give two thumbs up before we even have the interview. Oh, homosexual. This, okay. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't know. I have no idea if that was true or not and never asked and I wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't ever ask, but this this person uh, we knew we knew they had an offer at another company in town who is known for hiring good engineers, and we started asking you know the normal interview questions and started asking some other questions a little more advanced, and this person just all of a sudden got really nervous. I mean, I've never seen somebody do these you know I wouldn't say subliminal, but they were making literally putting their hands around their throat. <laughs> <laughs> while, while adjusting their tie, and I was writing down in my in my notebook, this guy is really, really nervous, <laughs> and and um and he even joked about, wow, I wasn't expecting this hard of an interview. I kind of almost want to jump out the window. We're on the eleventh floor, by the way. Um, <laughs> it, it's like, um, no, we all voted no on this one, and 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 uh, I, 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 he was literally choking himself. Literally, yes. I mean, he, he was he was not just adjusting his tie, but he was doing it with both hands, like like he's choking, <laughs> and which is what he was doing in the interview. He was choking in all the questions and everything. I ran to this guy later at, at at a at a programmers conference, and he's like an architect at another company here in town. He's really smart. I don't know what the heck we did to intimidate him. Maybe it was actually the female lead uh, programmer who was asking him direct questions and he wasn't expecting it. I don't know. Which, you oh, know, man. given that subjective element, if he can't deal with a woman <laughs> asking him direct questions, you're not good for this shop, dude. Nope. <laughs> Boy, was he a nerd? What, do you think he was scared? Scared of females qua females? or? I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, 
better. I'm just, I'm still, I'm, I'm visualizing a guy sitting there with his hands around his neck. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't holding both hands around his neck, squeezing, but he was adjusting his tie with both hands. And I, I, I was writing down my notes. It looks like he wants to choke himself. And, he, and then he <laughs> joked about jumping out the window and we're on the 11th floor. That was weird. That point being, we're talking Man. about, we're talking about Amy Coney Barrett and maybe she's qualified to be a Supreme Court justice. I certainly hope so, especially if she's nominated and, and it looks like the Republicans have the votes to get her through. So, Oh yeah. 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 Even without the two traitors, who are they? Collins and no call. Um, Murkowski said she Murkowski. will vote. Um, oh, okay. Um, Collins, I think they're trying to run top cover so that she can abstain or not have to vote for, for whatever, so that she can protect her reelection efforts. Murkowski's going to play ball and even Mittens Romney. Um, oh, Mittens. That's right. He was the third woman. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. That was bad. <laughs> you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see when he comes up for reelection, whether or not the people of Utah will, will allow him to uh, represent them again. Um, these people worship a quadrine space alien thing, so I don't put anything past them. I don't put anything past Mormons. Yeah, but I don't think Mitt owns enough guns. Uh, the point, the point being, um, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, she's apparently an evangelical Catholic. She has seven kids, um, and the left is absolutely deadly afraid of her. So if there's a better choice out there than her. Awesome. Bring it on. Well, I mean, they can't they can't um, f- falsely accuse her of raping somebody at a frat party, you know, so there is that. And I've also heard that she's also very strongly in favor of the Second Amendment. And with a last name like Barrett, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, speaking of saviors, we got to get to the next point in the notes because we're an hour 20 in or so. Um, yeah. Trump as savior. That's the notes I've got. And I realized Vigano wrote something recently or a prayer for America for the reelection of Trump. What was that all about? Yeah. I mean, this is such a rabbit hole and it's, it's such a weird nuanced situation. Um, it, it, it was you, I was, I was chit chatting with you and I'm just, Oh boy, it makes me nervous because all that just the scripture verse that just keeps going through my head is put not your trust in the princes of men over and over and over again. And people just making Trump into just uh, a terrifying edifice that at terrifying in the sense that I'm just, I'm so worried that people are going to get their hearts broken, you know, um, that Trump is playing 4D chess and Trump is doing all this. And, you know, a lot of people who read me read the QAnon stuff and, oh, everything he says means that he's mass arresting Hollywood pedophiles. I'm like, where, where, where is this? Where is this happening? Um, the, the, the one thing I'll say that is very joyous and I keep seeing people, you know, big bigger conservative or alt alt right websites making the point they keep finding like housefuls of children of abducted children like 35 at a time of straight up missing children and there is no reportage of this 
that is in and of itself absolutely stunning. There was one a couple of weeks ago in Georgia, I think it was 35 children. And then I think there was another one just within the last few days, I don't know, Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin or something. They're finding these these children who are enslaved. They're being trafficked. Nobody's saying anything about this. I find that damn peculiar. However, on the other side, I mean, would that it were, I I hope I'm wrong about this. I hope Trump is secretly um, purging the world of pedophiles. I mean, obviously, but I'm not, I'm not seeing this. I'm seeing that Hollywood has been shut down by the Corona scam. And this is a wonderful thing. Praise God. Most Um, of Hollywood. Yeah. Most of Hollywood. Um, I, I just, I don't want people to get their hearts broken. That's, that's the thing that you, you know, you build things up and then it, nothing comes to fruition or it, it turns out to be disappointing. Um, and people just kind of freak out and it's, it, it becomes a species of scandal. It's the, it's the sort of scandal that makes people lose faith. You know, they, th- oh my gosh, we thought that Trump was, you know, God's instrument and that he was the one that was doing, that was going to do all this and he's going to restore our country. And then when it doesn't happen, people throw up their hands and say, well, that was it. He was, he was the last chance. If it's not him, it's nobody. No, so no, no. Trump, guys. So Trump is the American rapture. Yeah. Trump is the American rapture. Trump is the new Constantine, the American Constantine. I I, I don't know, whatever you want to call it now, it, but it was you, as we were kind of discussing this, who said, Remember that God can use, you know, miserable leches to be, you know, instruments of of doing his will. And yes, that's absolutely true. So I'm not going to stand here and say that because Trump's personal moral life over the course of the last, you know, five and a half decades of his adult life has been less than stellar. And, um, well, I'm, I'm a little hazy on my my ancient history here, but but when Babylon was overthrown, when when the handwriting on the wall showed up in the Old Testament, uh, I think it was the Assyrians who were curb stomped immediately after that. But was it the Persians? I forget who exactly did the conquering, but they weren't the most they weren't the most uh, virtuous people, shall we say? It's just uh, that that they were the tool that God used at the time to free the Jews from the from the Babylonian captivity, and then they went back to Israel. Yeah, it's but it's tricky, folks. I mean, you you've got to keep your bearings and you've got to keep your head on a swivel. And the most important thing is that you have to be braced against um, being scandalized in the sense that I just outlined. And that's what the scripture verse about put not your trust in the princes of men is about. It's trying to keep people from just going down these paths of this. you know, cult of personality, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, look at just the history of the 20th century. The Italians made that mistake with Mussolini. They well, were or, or in the example, or in the example that I can't remember the exact details on. It wasn't the the pagan king and conqueror who delivered the Jews. It was God using the instrument right. who was the pagan king. Right. God ultimately is in charge of all of this, and and he could use an imperfect lecherous tool like Trump. To um, forestall the, you know, the the the, the judgment that is coming, as, as as a priest I know has said 
if if we don't have a chastisement soon, there's going to be a, a, an apology owed to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. The the chastisement will come. We have that guarantee. But between now and then, because of the sacrifice of the mass, because of the the many religious, there are still good religious out there like the Carmelites who are the the heavy artillery holding off the onslaught. And maybe this is when the line buckles. Maybe it holds. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but uh, it's not because Trump is a virtuous man if things turn around, if all this crap that QAnon is talking about, and I've already tipped my hand what I think about it, it's, it is it is God using somebody else as a tool to get, to, to get his will done. Mm-hmm. And you made the good point of analogizing it to the character in 1984. I'll let you, I know you probably have a discourse on that. So I'll oh, let I, you I, every once in a while, I, I argue with some of the, the Q diehards on Twitter. And, and I made the comment that uh, Q, whoever the heck that is, or whatever it is, Q in, in the modern age is Emmanuel Goldstein in the novel 1984. Mm-hmm. And Orwell never exactly said who Emmanuel Goldstein was, but a lot of the people who have analyzed this work seem to think that what he was suggesting is that Emmanuel Goldstein didn't even exist. He was a phantasm created by the Ministry of Truth to create a false opposition to figure out who would flock to it yeah. and figure out, okay, those are the trouble troublemakers we need to keep an eye on or either either arrest them or worse or simply lead them down rabbit trails that don't actually amount to anything. And when you talk about what the QAnon followers actually believe and follow, they don't need to be arrested. They just need to be kept following something on 4chan, and they will never harm the New World Order. Yeah. I tend to agree. I just, it's, it, it lines up too well, and there's it's just... I don't know. You, you, y'all know my position on things is that people need to speak up under their own name. You know, nothing, nothing is going to happen. There's not going to be any major turnaround. And let's put this in the context of the church. There's not gonna be any major turnaround until people start being, being willing to lay down their lives for this thing. Interestingly, what we're starting to see is that it isn't it isn't just Archbishop Archbishop Vigano who's who's gone into hiding, and I understand why they they'd kill him if they could, and I have no doubt of that. Um, but we're now starting to see within the last few weeks an FSSP priest in Denver speaks up and says, "Don't wear these damn masks." Now we've just had um, an FSSP priest in Baltimore invite Trump to come to the mass, the Lepanto mass on October 7th and be there and even participate in consecrating the United States to the Immaculate Heart. You know, things are happening and there are people starting now to speak up and who are ready to... um, to face the wrath of their of their local ordinary of their bishop if that's if that's what that means i mean they're they're willing to step up and there's going to be more and more and more of this i hope i hope that these men are you know finding their feet and and realizing that this is not going to self resolve um 
I think a lot of people believed in the spring, the, the propaganda about two weeks to flatten the curve. And I could have told you right then, nope, if, if you permit this to happen, this will not end without a war. A hot shooting war, blood in the streets, if you permit this to happen. Well, in Portland, course, that's already happened. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. But I mean, but now take it to the next level of even though everyone knows that it's all BS and that it's a cold and that hardly, hardly anyone actually dies of this thing because it's just a cold. Um, and nobody's sick. You're, they keep, oh, cases, 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 cases. Nobody's sick. Nobody gets sick. I mean, it's it's just a cold and that we're going into the next cold and flu season. And they're already saying, oh, my gosh, the flu this year is going to be the worst ever. How, how the hell do you know that? Because they have already decided it. And they decided it a long time ago. It which was decided... Which contradicts a lot. A lot of the uh, the media. I forget where I exactly heard this, but but I've heard multiple commentators say, and I think these are people who are, who are somewhat skeptical of COVID nineteen to begin with, saying that uh, given all of the masking and wash your hands and 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 social distancing and be clean and all the rest of this, we're going to have the weakest flu season we've ever seen, because people are following all these safety things. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I think that the I think the hype will be completely unprecedented. Completely unprecedented. Well, the people who every the person who dies of the flu is going to be it's going to be the end of the world. And remember, folks, in the United States of America, in an average flu year season, one hundred and fifty people per day in the United States die of influenza every day on average. So it's going to be it's going to be just exactly what they did with corona cold. Anyone who dies of the flu, no matter what, no matter how old they are, no matter how weak they were, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be made out like it is the end of the world. And the other thing is this business of every time some damn celebrity or somebody either gets a cold or the flu, we all have to be treated to this, you know, heart-rending, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm sick. Yeah, you've got a freaking sniffle. You need to just shut up. You know, what What did we all used to do before? You, we, we sucked it up, buttercup. You've got a sniffle. You've got a cold. But no, now until there's a war and this is brought to an end, Every every person of notoriety, every time they get a cold or the flu, it's going to be made out into this hyper uber drama that we're all going to be treated to. Yet another reason to to get rid of television, get rid of media, and and burn Hollywood to the ground, and and just so we don't we we're not going to have to listen to that. It's going to be the biggest narcissistic pity party in human history. Yes. Well, th- those people those people don't believe in the afterlife anyway. They only believe in this life, and they don't believe in the spiritual reality. So this is the only world for them. Therefore, why should they um, not try to fight? any chance for infection and so forth. They, this is the only thing they've got, so get away from me with your cold and your stuffles and all the rest. And I mentioned at the top of the podcast that uh, my family and I went on vacation in Colorado. One of the things I wasn't prepared for is the fact that we go from you know 55 to 70% humidity where I normally live to 15% humidity up in the up in the mountains. Oh yeah. We baby. all we we all got dry sinus 
congestion and sniffles and cold like symptoms and like oh wow I, if if we went to the store kind of you know sneezing and hacking like this people would mm-hmm. think we're infected or something like that it's like no it's just this is what happens at this time of year and and I was talking to my wife about this it's like when when the weather finally gets cold where we live we're going to have the same conditions you know down at lower altitude and and um I wonder if, if this is you know, everyone's going to absolutely freak out because their sinuses do what the sinuses do at low low uh, humidity, yep. and you start to have uh, the signs of cold. Coronavirus yep. is more more likely to come out at that point. Like, well, cold is coronavirus, but it, yeah, it's, you're going to have a Karen snitch on you, and then someone's going to come and take your kids away from you, and put you in quarantine or put them in quarantine in a concentration camp somewhere. Yeah, because because you sneeze. There was there was a story this week. Some poor kid in the fourth grade, somewhere in the northeast, I think, um, sneezed twice in school. Pro- it's September. He probably had some some hay fever, some seasonal allergies. Sneezed twice, and they, you know, people in hazmat suits come and drag this kid out of school, and he's just like, "I just I just sneezed twice. I feel fine." There's nothing wrong with me. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be that if you if you have um, seasonal allergies, hay fever, anything, you're going to be scared to leave your house because you're going to be scared that you're going to be arrested. Arrested. I mean, it's 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 madness, and it's not going to end without a war. The window to bypass that passed in March, and. Everybody just needs to get their heads around this. These people are not going to give this up because as we've talked about, this is a religion. These people have converted to this false religion. And one of the hardest things in the world to do is to deprogram people who have joined occultic religion. Converts, as I am, as I am often reminded in my email box, converts are extremely zealous and, um, as I am frequently reminded in my email box, no one should listen to me because I'm a convert and converts don't know what they're talking about. And they're extremely zealous and they take things way too seriously. Um, well, that's certainly true. When you convert to a false religion, um, you can convert to the one true faith and, and not be pathological like that. These people are all pathological because this thing is the New World Order religion. It is a fusion of Freemasonry and Islam. And these people have have bought into this hook, line, and sinker. The mask is their is their physical outward sign that they are a member and that they are submissive to this this religion. And these people are not going to give this up. They're not going to just say, even even if you know Fauci and and Burks and the rest of these horrible people who have been very silent recently, very silent recently. If they were to call a press conference and say we were wrong about all this, we've been wrong about everything. Everybody, calm down. Everybody, stand down. That it wouldn't do anything. It would have no effect at this point because the conversion to the New World Order religion is now so um, thorough and its tentacles and its roots are now so entrenched in the culture that even the high priests could come out and, and basically apostatize from it. The people are so brainwashed 
that they would keep it going. And it's also a matter of pride. People will never admit that they were wrong. People will never admit that I just got hoodwinked and, and converted to a, to a cultic religion because the voices on television told me to, and I was too damn stupid to see what was obviously right in front of me. How are you going to deprogram all of these people of this? It's going to be a war is the answer to that. These people don't think for themselves. So yeah. if somebody with a strong enough personality comes along and tells them that they've been hoodwinked and that they can take the mask off now, they can go enjoy life and be fine, I think they'll believe it. Now the question is, where does that put America? Are, are we going to be part of the New World Order or are we going to be a part of the resistance? And one of the things that's been curious to me is is we, we've made reference to Orwell's 1984 over and over and over. In, in Orwell's 19, 1984, the UK, the United States, and Oceania were part of one of the axes, one of the three axes in the world. One of the other axes was Eurasia, Euro, you know, continental Europe and Asia, and the other one was the Far East. Mm-hmm. And the screwy thing is that I keep coming back to is at some point, you know, with, with the UK doing their Brexit thing and possibly the the remnants of, of the the Commonwealth going with them and, and, and having some kind of solidarity, if they all coalesce around the, the UK Commonwealth US um, pole, so to speak, mm-hmm. we could be literally heading toward Orwell's nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Because it would be Europe and Putin presumably would um, have jurisdiction basically over Europe and um, China would get everything in everything in the Far East. Yeah. And and look who is leading. Look who the origin of all of this is and look who are the most um dishonest, lying, spreading the propaganda, and um, the most totalitarian in all of this. It's the US, the UK, and Australia. Australia is basically is is now reverted back to being a prison camp again. It's it's unbelievable. So it the the thing about it is and the and the dirty truth that we all have to come to is that maybe we're the bad guys in all of this. Or we're the vanguard of how to get out of it. And with with the with regard to Australia, I know that multiple people, both the United States and some people in Australia, begin to say, this is the logical result of what happens when you give away your guns. Mm-hmm. Why do we not have the kind of lockdowns here in the United States that they're having down in Australia? We have guns. And we had, um, was it in Richmond, uh, Virginia, the, a gigantic peaceful protest of everybody showing up who was armed. Nobody got shot. Mm-hmm. But in yep. Portland, where guns are essentially illegal for the most part, unless you're hunting mm-hmm. down people with MAGA hats. And you know. Chicago, and Chicago, where guns are basically completely illegal, except every every um, every 14-year-old black kid on the south side and the near west side and well, everywhere that's, else that's like a, has a gun. Like, you know? That's like a 12-block radius where all the murders happen, though, which is kind of a weird and perverse thing all to itself. It's it's that small. Yeah, it's a pretty small. It's a pretty small area of South Chicago. Unfortunately, the um, in, in City Crest King has a chapel not too far away from there, so mm-hmm. they 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 get to hear fireworks quite frequently. But yep. um, 
No, it's a small area in South Chicago that that has the the gun problem. They, the police there, the feds, the anybody who really cares to go in there and do things, they know exactly where the problem is, and they could end that in twenty four hours if they wanted to. They would put roadblocks at the uh, cross streets of where all the violence is happening, bring in the National Guard, bring in some plainclothes former Special Forces guys who did this stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they could end that stuff in 24 hours. What, go house to house, sir? No, just stand in the street and stop anybody who doesn't look like they are, are being normal. They, they did this in, in, in Iraq. That's a bold statement. We have a listener who lives in Chicago, and he listens to every episode. So I, I hope that he will chime in, and he, that, um, he might even be a potential um, guest to have sometime. You know, get give us the debriefing on the situation in Chicago because that's been a war zone. I mean, the 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 number of of murders and casualties per week in Chicago has been higher than anything that's been going on that that the US has been involved in in the Middle East for a very long time. It's it's a rare it's a you know a metric if you can tell how hot things are in the Middle East with regards to our operations there is just c- compare it to Chicago. How many people are being killed over there? How many people are are being killed in Chicago? And Chicago is almost always worse. Which, and again, an obvious statement to our listenership, it's just a proof set that black lives don't matter to these people. Nobody cares, because if anyone cared, then something would have been done about Chicago a long time ago. But everybody's just like, everybody's completely content to let, let the blacks just keep killing each other. Yeah. Well, okay, so geographical statement, Chicago is a large city, geographically speaking, And like I just mentioned, the area where the violence and the deaths and the shootings are happening is quite small. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about downtown Michigan Avenue, Miracle Mile, you can walk that all night long and and be 100% sure. Well, no, no, seriously. Uh, Even the area, most of Chicago, you're fine. It's it's South Chicago and just a few a few square blocks, 12, 12 square blocks roughly, is where the majority of the, of the violence happens. And yes, it radiates out a little bit from there. You grew up not too far from Kansas City. Yes. You know where Troost Avenue is. Yes, I do. Two blocks over is, is Rockhurst Avenue, one of the richest streets yeah. around. Okay. Mm-hmm. How the heck do the hood rats know not to go two, rat, two blocks over and cause trouble? That's right. Well, and on the South side, I've been to the University of Chicago and that is, I can't remember what the street's called, Garfield or something like that. You don't cross that street that is the South boundary of the University of Chicago. You do not cross the street. If you do, someone will probably tell you that you need to cross back over. Or for diversity's sake, the people over who have been to USC, you know that there's a boundary around USC that if you go six feet beyond that boundary, your life is in your own hands. Mm -hmm. And if you don't come back alive, that's your own damn fault. We told you when you got here. Yep. Yep. Very, very strange. Very, people are so very tribal, but... Yeah. So somehow we were, we got to this tangent by talking about QAnon, and um, <laughs> we've done a hundred. Actually, we've done more than one hundred and twenty-three episodes because we have a couple of point fives in there, um, and and every time Super Nerd is like, "Man, 
we've got this outline and we're going to stay on this outline. <laughs> That's not how it works, man. <laughs> the outline, they, they kind, it kind of helps, but you know, the con the convo needs to go where the convo goes. Okay. For for this podcast, I know it's been twenty seven days since we recorded. I I knew given these four major bullet points, we're going to go for two hours. I I knew it, <laughs> and, and I knew we weren't going to cover everything either. Oh, so no. I wasn't worried about those. I know. Ones. What are we? At? We're at like we're at like a buck forty nine or so right now, right? Um, my clock says one forty six, but I started about a minute before we start really started, so one forty five. Okay, that's that's our normal. If we, if you want to wrap it, and then we can do another one in a few days and try to get caught back up in terms of our frequency. Yeah, but did we really address QAnon? I think we kind of did. We we both made our our positions on it clear. You know, be careful. Um, well, we we talked a little bit about it. Um, what point do you want to make? I had something in my notes here, and I got to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was it was the um, it was the uh, the book of knowledge. I'm sorry, Wikipedia entry on QAnon, saying that it is a you're just describing what it is because I know we've mentioned it and I disparage it. I think for good reason. Um, maybe maybe there's something to it. I don't know. We'll find out. But I don't. I highly I highly doubt it. Okay, so the Wikipedia definition: QAnon is a far right conspiracy theory alleging that a cabal of Satan worshiping pedophiles running a global uh, child sex trafficking ring is plotting against President Donald Trump, who is battling... I believe that that's true, actually. I believe that that's true. Well, and see, this is where conspiracy theory and conspiracy fact kind of clash. So this this cabal is plotting, plotting against President Donald Trump, who is battling them, leading to a day of reckoning involving a mass arrest of journalists and politicians. Now it gets a little bit... Um, a little bit more shaky. And that's why I said it's very nuanced. Is is there a cabal of pedophiles at the highest levels of, you know, the world? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that is beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point. I absolutely 100% believe that. Do I think that um, Hollywood at the highest levels is basically run by pedophiles and operates as a means for child and, um, you know, teenage, teenage sex of, of both sexes, male and female. Yes. Yes. I absolutely 100% believe that. And I think that when, whether it's in, in this world, in this time, or whether it's at the general judgment, I think a hell of a lot of people are going to be absolutely shocked at the names that are exposed. Oh, and they're all quaking in their boots because half of them are were on the flight manifest of Epstein, and apparently those are going to be released. Um, yeah, I think I think that this whole child sex thing is one hundred percent real. And again, I think you 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 just have to you'd have to suspend the willful, the willful suspense of disbelief in order to not see that. Look at Disney. Look at what Disney has been pumping out for decades now. Just the hyper, hyper, hyper sexualization of children, um, especially girls, but, you know, also boys. The boys are just, they're, they're, 
more presented as eye candy. And I think that the the homosexual pedophiles and ephebophiles have been more subtle about it. But I mean, just look at what they did to Britney Spears. Look at what they did to Christina Aguilera. Look what they did to, to Miley Cyrus. That's all Disney, all of it. It's been, it's just pushing and pushing and pushing child sex, child sex, child sex. And, um, wasn't Justin Timberlake that uh, soprano that he uh, or tenor that he is? Wasn't he one of the Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah, he was in the Mickey Mouse Club too. So the whole Backstreet Boys. Then you know, there's a documentary out about all that. The guy who ran all of those boy bands, going all the way back to New Kids on the Block. That dude was a sodomite. He was sexually grooming and assaulting. Um, those lads, some of them, and a lot of those guys have turned out to be gay. The one or two of them that were in, I don't even remember what the 98 degrees or whatever it was called. There's a bunch of them that have turned gay. One of the new kids on the block is gay. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, they, these guys, these kids were just, they were just cannon fodder for these pedophiles. Yes, 100% is there. And, you know, they talk about the stats about child porn and just how many people are looking at this crap. And it's, it's terrifying when you see the statistics because it makes you realize there's no way that you can drive down the interstate every day, go to the gas station, go to the grocery store, et cetera, et cetera, do the things that you do. And you're not coming within very close proximity to people who consume child pornography because there's just so much of it, which reminds me, something I want to say, this whole cuties thing, the the um, 11-year-old girl um, ped- uh, pedophilia movie that's on Netflix. I don't know. Maybe it's too late. Maybe I'm a day late and a dollar short saying that. Do not, do not look at any of that. Don't click on a tweet that has an embedded film of it. Don't look at it because here's the reason why. That cuties is felony, felony level child pornography. If you have that on your computer, on your phone in any way, They've they've got you. And you say, well, Anne, that's ridiculous. They they couldn't possibly do that. It's on Netflix. Oh, that's adorable that you think that that matters. That, remember, remember the Ukrainians who were telling the Soviets when they came and said, where's, where's the wheat harvest? And they said, you idiots, you, we begged you for seed and you wouldn't give us any. Okay, it's exactly the same with this. You think that just because that's on Netflix... That if they wanted to, that they couldn't use it against you and say, this is felony level child porn, you have it on your computer, you're going to jail for 25 years. It doesn't matter that it's on Netflix. If you're, if you're looking at any of that stuff, you are, you're just walking right into a trap, it seems to me. So don't look at it if you have a device in which good grief if you have a device in which you have netflix i would i'd get rid of that if you have a phone that you looked at that on i would seriously consider getting rid of it because they will even though yes it's completely unjust to say here's this thing on netflix it's widely available and for sale you don't go after netflix 
I looked at it because I was being warned against it. Da 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 da. Bah, that that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Justice, truth, common sense. These things are completely and totally irrelevant to um, satanic communist regimes, which is what you're now basically living under. So just bear that in mind. Well, yes. Yes. But then again, I, I think where you're going with this is if they want to get after you and or if they want to target you specifically and you have watched this then or you have something on your computer – they're not going to stop with whether or not you actually did this kind of stuff. They have all kinds of people involved in helping them to plant stuff mm-hmm. and all kinds. Of, and they don't have to do this, you know, to take physical possession of your, of your computer. I mean, computer viruses are great at just downloading stuff on your computer. And then how do you right. say, hey, I didn't really do this? Yep. That takes uh, a, a very... Amish level of detachment from technology to say, no, it really wasn't me because I don't do that stuff and I can prove it. I don't know. And the other thing I would say, the other angle I would come at it from is um, it's, it's preternatural, it's evil, it's demonic. It's a potential entree of the demonic into your home, into your space, into your mind. It's the same thing as basically um, with the television. The television is a hell mouth. Um, I would view any of that cutie stuff also as a hell mouth and getting images into your mind. And this is, this just goes speaking to pornography in general, getting images in your mind, really tough to get them out once they're in. Don't, don't look at things that are going to scar, damage, traumatize in that sense. I mean, yeah, there's people whose job it is to do that. And I understand that. But you and I, most of us listening, I dare say, unless there's maybe some law enforcement people listening, don't you don't need to look at that. Don't look at it because, I mean, we all have experiences like that. We've all seen things. I had I had porn pop up on my um, on my screen really early on, probably in like 1999 maybe even 1998, when we first got the internet at our workstations in the brokerage firm that I, in the office that I worked in. And, you know, I had the browser open and just all of a sudden a, and a terrible pornographic image just popped up and it was there. I mean, it was there and I scrambled and I closed it. I probably looked at it for far less than a second. And yet I can still totally remember it and it's burned into my mind and it's awful, you know, it's, and the advice is that our lady is in, is in charge of purifying memories. It's no longer as profoundly disturbing to me as it was. And I don't mean in the sense that I've gotten used to anything like that. It's just with the passage of 20, 21, 22 years, it's gotten, you know, it has less of a sting, but it's still in my mind. I'm, you know, it's it's very, very difficult to completely and totally forget images that you see like that. And it's the same thing with this cuties. I mean, every um, every reasonable article that I have read about cuties is it is far worse, far, far worse than the author imagined it would be. And the author was anticipating that it was going to be bad and it was far worse than they thought it was going to be. So that tells you right there. Just don't don't look at it. Well, and. In that vein, another saint for our times, obviously, is St. Mary Magdalene. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, I forget who I heard this from, but the, apparently she has the lily of virginity mm-hmm. as, as one of her symbols of, of her sanctity. And it's not that she was a virgin, but yeah. it's that she did such profound penance for uh-huh. the sins that she had committed that God awarded her a new virginity, in a sense, spiritually speaking. And yes, praying to Our Lady definitely is going to help to solve all this. Praying to Our Lady and St. Mary Magdalene as a secondary certainly won't won't hurt. But um, just because you have encountered something that is um, contrary to morality and nature doesn't mean you are permanently no. warped. I mean, grace grace perfects nature, and and we through the sacraments we can heal everything that you know, God came to make everything new again. Jesus came to make everything new again, mm-hmm. and that includes all the all the harm that we've done to ourselves and our soul. So regardless of what you've done in your past or whether it was intentional or accidental, go to confession, start from scratch, fill in all the the damage. And, and, um, I forget the name of this. Um, I, I, I know I tweeted this and I know I sent the link to it, but it's a particular kind of Japanese art where they, they take a, 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 um, a, a piece of, of, porcelain or what we call fine china and it's something that somebody dropped and broke they take it and they put it back together with with precious metals and it ends up being something that is a unique work of art to itself and i will find this and i will put it in the show notes kintsu kuroi kintsu kuroi k-i-n-t-s-u-k-u-r-o-i they intentionally break you're, you're pronouncing it no, they don't intentionally break it. the The original art form came oh, from okay. came from restoring things that were broken by accident, and and uh, I'm, I'm laughing because you're mispronouncing it. But um, I, 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 yes, you you found the link I'm talking about. But but they take they take something that was broken, whether it's a teacup or, or something, as a piece of china mm-hmm. or something. But it becomes a unique work of art, and I will include a second link in, in, in the show notes as well of a video of somebody who makes a, a, a vase from a piece of wood that had knots and holes all through it, but they filled it with a, a an epoxy before they made this um, this vase. And what it did, it filled in all the cracks and holes and everything. And in, in the spiritual sense, you think about you know our ability to 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 hold grace and in any physical idea you have of grace and the soul is wrong, but this one's not too horribly wrong. You know, in in the sense that if you get to heaven, you will be 100% happy for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between you and the blessed Virgin? She has a great, much greater capacity for grace than you do. So just think that you're a tiny little vase with all kinds of cracks and holes in it. So that what, what this, what this uh, woodworker was doing in this video is he takes a, a chunk of wood that's gnarled and interesting all by itself, fills it with this bluish epoxy and then carves out this, uh, this basin and the combination of the natural wood and the knots and the, the pattern of the wood plus the blue epoxy. It's just a gorgeous piece of art that was better than anything that ever existed in nature previously. And, so, and as, I'm, as I'm looking at the pod, the Japanese pottery thing, um, it looks like what they use, they prefer to use gold. And isn't that appropriate? You know, it says to repair with gold, the art of repairing pottery with gold or silver. And 
I think allegorically, that's pretty awesome too, because we are, we're healed with the blood of the lamb, you know, more, which is more precious, obviously, than gold. But allegorically, the gold kind of represents that. We're broken, but then we get repaired with something that's infinitely precious. Right. Oh. And, and, and that, those particular devices, which are broken and then repaired, are far more valuable than the original unbroken glasses. Oh, right. It's just a completely pedestrian-looking bowl. Yeah, exactly. Nifty. Wow. How cultured we are. How cultured you are, super nerd. You know all these things. Oh, I find the right things on YouTube. <laughs> okay, so we are we have crossed two hours now. Is this okay. the longest podcast we've done? Um, I'm not sure. We'd have to look it up. We've been over two hours before, but... But that includes all of our preamble, pre-chat, and then post-chat. Yeah. I think this might actually, well, we haven't done our wrap-up yet, so I think. I think and that always takes like a half an hour, so. <laughs> as your wife is, is quick to point out. You said you were doing the wrap-up 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Which is true. It's a valid criticism. <laughs> it's true. Yes. Uh, so sometimes, yes, the we, we start the wrap up and, and my wife is looking at her phone and, and saying, wait, you're doing the wrap up, but there's still 15 minutes of the podcast left. I know it only takes two minutes because we've seen this before. So uh, we did not get through all of our notes, but uh, I'm sure we'll right. get through the important ones at some point. I'll put up. We're going to have a ton of uh, links in, in the show notes for this one, and I hope to get it up by Saturday. Um, ideally no tomorrow. No, this is this is Thursday night, about to go to Friday morning at this point. So, um, yeah, let's go, let's call this a podcast, and and we'll okay. we'll go to the wrap up. Yep. The email address of the podcast. If you if you want to send feedback, comments, suggestions, or um, information about QAnon, why it's true, and why we're wrong, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. And in doing so, at least one mass is is said every single day. That's a a traditional Catholic Latin mass uh, for all of her benefactors, probably two or three on average. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we said at the top of the podcast, talking about RGB or RBG. RGB is the color sequence and RBG is the now dead Springport justice. Um, there is a requiem mass set for everybody who died in the last week. We certainly hope, dare we hope, that uh, RBG is in heaven, but um, honestly, prayers, yeah, lots boy. of prayers, lots yeah. and lots of prayers. Um, and definitely prayers for the priests as well. If you think that um, if you think that good people are a target for doing good things, uh, the priests have got a target on their back that we can't possibly imagine. Yeah. And of course, without them, we've got no chance. So obviously they're the ones to go after, satanically speaking. So please pray for the priests. Without them, we are truly and royally screwed. Mm. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Supernerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com to find out the different ways that you could return value. And um, via the mail is the way that Richard, Anonymous R, JW, and Stephen, um, and Stephen in honor of the, you know, the birthday of our Blessed Mother. Yeah, that's right. The 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 donation came in on on uh, or no the date the the donation that Stephen sent was on the the date of um, uh, the uh, the Blessed Mother's nativity. Nice. And also a quick uh, response to JW. Uh, if I'm living up to the standard, then it's only by the grace of God. And if I'm not, then it's completely my fault. You'll know what I mean by that. 
And also, uh, Anonymous R sent a part of the donation was for the Sister Servants of Mary. We mentioned oh, nice. uh, Tiny Princess um, briefly a couple times in this podcast, and part of his donation was meant for them, and I will forward that along. That is the end of the donor executive producer segment, and uh, it's on to you for Matthew 1720. Matthew 1720, fast twice a week and pray every day as much as you can for the fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, not rooting for anybody's death. In fact, he needs as much time as he can get and someday hopefully achieve the beatific vision And likewise with Pope Benedict Ratzinger, that he repent of anything he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. Amen. And, okay, so apologies to my wife. We did talk about QAnon for a minute, and Mm -hmm. one of the notes I came across is the person who apparently is the one of the progenitors or the progenitor of QAnon Mm -hmm. is somebody who allegedly has Q-level security access. And when I read, in doing research for today's show, I found that for the first time today on Wikipedia or some, some, I forget even the source where I found that. And if you've, have you ever seen the movie Rush Hour? With Jackie Chan and Chris Rock, or not Chris Rock, it was Chris Tucker. I know what it is, but I've never sat and watched it. There's, there is a scene in that movie. Chris Tucker plays an LAPD cop, and uh, to get him out of the way, they try to um, sequester him or abscond him over to the FBI for a minute. And one of the FBI agents says, "Hey, we're working on this thing. It's like G14 classified." Um, and we need you to work on this. And, and Chris Rock, being LAPD person who has no idea how government classifications work, so oh yeah, G fourteen classified. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I won't tell anyone. Completely made up. Um, it, when I when I read the whole idea of Q level classification and Q level secrets, like yeah, right. <laughs> I don't believe this for a second. Oh, it's not. It's not any sort of a spook, a legitimate spook thing, or it's just completely made up. If there is such a thing, I it's way above my pay grade. <laughs> but then, what would what, what do we even know if it's if that's a legitimate a legitimate spook thing? Why would any of us know what that is? No, I there, there's top secret. There's top secret SPI, SCI, and then there is code word access, and then there is levels of secrecy where we don't code it because it's so secret. I don't mm. know that things would be called Q-level access. That just seems to me and my level of interest in in the classified nature of things that the government does. I've never heard of it. I'm not saying it's completely bullcrap, but it sounds like complete bullcrap to me. Interesting. All right. Well, we're. I bet we're going to get some feedback on this episode. <laughs> if you know something about Q level classification, podcast hey, at Barnard. Yep. And the only reason I'm okay. So two reasons. First, because we joked about the that the 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 closing always has to take longer. But secondly, I had a tab open in my browser with a link to uh, to the the movie Rush Hour and G14 classification. So I'm going to throw that in the show notes as well because it is a funny scene. Absolutely. But, um, that's that's the end of my tangents for now. So um, to my wife, I'm sorry I'm done now. Uh, until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>